Good morning, good morning, Rabbi Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated in loving memory of David Bar Mohalav Shalom, the David Ben Saada, from his wife Sylvia, children Yigal, Asher, Roni, Yossi, Nir, Shiran, and family. As well, the Breakfast in the Class is dedicated in celebration of the marriage of Orly and Benjamin Wagner, sponsored by Ruti and Rafi Fuzailov. And Breakfast in the Class is also dedicated in loving memory of Naftali Gad, Alava Shalom. Beloved husband of Shifra God, father of Michael and Joseph God, and Lily Ishai and Peggy Dahan. Also, we want to wish a tremendous Mazal Tov for the wedding last night. Still feeling it from the dancing. Um, the beautiful wedding of Naomi to uh, David uh, Dilmani. Baruch uh, Hashem, Zachinu, that we should have such beautiful Simachot uh, over, the last, over the last week. And Bezat Hashem, Hashem should bless us that we should be zochet to count many more semachot uh, each and every week in the Beit Knesset and in the wider community. The Pasuk tells us that Moshe Rabbeinu was born and he was given a name. But the funny thing is, the Torah does not tell us his name. It tells us about a baby. It tells us about a yelid. And she put the baby, she put the child in the basket. She sends the baby down the river. And finally, she opens up the basket. Batya risks her life. She's the daughter of Pharaoh. There's a gizerah, there's a decree against the Jewish children. She opens up the basket and what does she see? Behold, Nahar Bukhed is a child crying. And she calls his name Moshe. How old is this child at this point? Three months. Moshe was born three months early. She was able to have her child for three months. She stuck the baby in the basket at nine months. Why? Because the Egyptians, they wrote down how old, how long, how, when the baby was due. And when the baby was due, they would make their rounds and come check. If the baby was a girl, no problem. They would allow her to live. If the baby was uh, a boy, they would kill the baby, throw the baby in the, in the, river, in the Nile River. So Yocheved, Moshe's mother, gave birth three months early. So she didn't need to worry that the Egyptians were coming to get the baby. So she had three months with the baby. Can I ask a question, everybody here? When do we name a Jewish baby? Eight days old. <coughs> Even still, they do hatafat tamberit, right? When do we do the brit? On the eighth day. And at the brit milah, what do we do? We name the baby. So the baby had been named already almost for three months. And the Torah does not call him by his name. It calls it Yelid. Strange, right? Anyway, so you'd think maybe the parents didn't name the baby because they knew they were giving the baby away. Maybe Yochever uh, was a psychological genius. She knew that if she names the baby, it's going to be very hard. She'll create an attachment to the baby and... and uh, and she wouldn't be able to give it up. Maybe that's why. Wouldn't that be an interesting answer? It unfortunately would be not only interesting, it would also be false. <laughs> In fact, not only was Moshe a baby without a name, Moshe was a baby with many names. He was called one name by his mother and one name by his father. His mother called him Yered, Chaver, uh, excuse me. The, uh, his father called him Yekutiel. Miriam called him Yered. 
Aaron called him Avi Zanoach. So this guy has more names, this little baby, than anyone in Tanakh. And yet the Torah says, Yeled, 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 Yeled. Wow. But Tikrat Shemo, Moshe. She called the name Moshe. From the moment she calls him Moshe, we don't hear of any other name. Right? Is that true? We don't hear of any other name. Sorry? Sorry? No, not in Torah. Right? So he has other names. The Gemara lists more. You know, he also has uh, uh, Avisocho, right? Avigdor. There's quite a few names the Gemara gives him. We also know that he had the name Tuvia. So he had many names, but he's a child with no name. And then finally he gets named by Batya. And Batya's name, Batya names him um, with this name, this name Moshe, which sticks. So the question is why? And I would add to that question. Number one, why is the child not given a name until, Moshe, until she gives it? Question number two, why of all the names that Moshe receives, does the one that stick become Moshe? Now let's look at the historical precedent. Okay? Let's look at the historical precedent. Avram is called Avram. And then what does God do? He changes his name to? Abraham. Okay, great. Sarai, Sarah gets Sarai gets turned to Sarah. Beautiful, love it. Jacob, Israel. Fantastic. Each one of these people, they were born with a name, and then Hashem changed it. We don't find that they were carrying on without a name. So why is it that when it comes to Moshe, even if God wanted to choose the name of Batya? He didn't give Moshe a name at all. And then finally, he gets a name late from Batya, and everyone, but as everyone's already given him a name, and we don't hear about those other names anymore. So I want to share with you two famous approaches. The famous answer that maybe many of you have heard was that we are supposed to learn from here a lesson in Hakarat Tov. Why? Because Yoche, excuse me, Batya risked her life to save this baby. She gave the baby the name Moshe that I drew him from the water. So because of the Hakarat HaTov that we wanted to show Batya for the great act that she did, we chose the name, we used the name that she used, that she chose. By the way, Miriam also, we owe a great debt of gratitude to. Miriam is the reason why Moshe exists in the first place. She convinces her parents to get back together. Miriam goes down to the water. Miriam follows the baby even when it's brought to the house of Paro and the baby can't eat. Miriam hangs out to the point when she gets to say her line and she says to, uh, to Batya, oh, the baby won't nurse? I think I might know a, 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 a Jewish wet nurse that could nurse the baby. So you see Hakarat HaTov also from Miriam. So a simple answer might be, you expect something good, something to care. You expect it from the mother, the father, the brother, the sister. But to expect it from a complete stranger, that was a great act, and therefore it deserves hakaratatov. That's a famous answer. And you know what? If that answer was, you know, uh, if that answer was the only reason why we came to speak about this today, it would be enough. Dayenu. But I think that there's something else here. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there are times 
when we will do a baby naming for a boy before the Brit Milah. When does that happen? Number one, if we're afraid he won't make it to the Brit Milah, true. But why are we afraid of that? If the baby is for whatever reason, sick, and we know the Brit Milah is going to be delayed for an indeterminate amount of time. Many times, if the baby is not well, or if the baby needs a recovery, we name the child. And the Zohar tells us that the reason why that's an important thing to do is because a neshama draws its power, draws on its connection, <coughs> draws on its connection to Shamaim using its name. The pipeline, if you will, to heaven, to Biracha, is through the Hebrew name of the child. So therefore, if the child's not well, and he needs a Rifuah he needs that Shefa, that Bracha, that spiritual lifeline to heaven, so therefore we'll name him even before the Brit Milah. And if you think that that's very strange, there's at least one person I can think of in the Torah who was named before his Brit Milah. Yitzchak is named not only before his Brit Milah, he's named before he's born. Okay? So, it almost seems strange then that in this dangerous mission of taking the baby to the water, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have thought of being kovea, of setting a name for Moshe Rabbeinu. I'm not talking about the parents, like we said earlier. They each gave him a name, which is in and of itself a little bit strange. They had four names from four different uh, family members. But at the end of the day, why is Moshe, his name is not recorded in the Torah until that moment. Even if you want to give uh, Batya the, the zechut of having the name, so change the name. Like we found, as I said earlier, with Yaakov and Yisrael, with Avram and Avraham, with Sarai and Sarah. And the answer, my friends, I think is in some ways a little bit counterintuitive. Each person who comes to this world has a very specific path that he or she must take. And it won't do for that person to take a path that does not belong to them. In no way will it help them, in no way will it bring them biracha, in no way will they succeed if they don't figure out how to strike their own path. Now Moshe Rabbeinu specifically had a very interesting path that he needed to take. And that path is guided by none other than Borei Olam himself. Correct? The idea that he should be born early. The idea that he should be born, like Nathan said, already having a Brit Milah. The idea that his basket should be placed in the water and he should float exactly to the place where he needs to float. The idea that Batya should be out that morning going to the river according to one opinion, to bathe, according to another opinion, to do her act of conversion when she was dipping in the river, dipping in the mikveh, her first moment as a Jew, she saves Moshe Rabbeinu's life. Wild. Okay? All of this, that Moshe Rabbeinu needs to be born and raised in the house of Paro. Wild. He needs to become a leader. He needs to be a person who's not tainted by the feelings of slavery, by the hesitation, by the inferiority complex 
that is part of the lexicon of a slave. Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu needs to be the person that's able to stand up to Paro and all, the, all of Egypt and take the Jews out of Egypt. In order to be that, he couldn't come from that. So therefore, my friends, there needed to be a period in time when Moshe Rabbeinu was not imprinted by anything or anyone that had anything to do with the slavery in Egypt. Now, if you'll tell me that Moshe Rabbeinu's parents are from the tribe of Levi, who don't work in Egypt, that's not enough. And you know what my proof is? My proof is, on some level, you see Aharon HaKohen, who was such an unbelievable tzaddik, who's, who's literally perfection defined, who doesn't die, who dies by mitat neshikah, and we see that Moshe Rabbeinu is jealous of the way that Aharon passes away, he dies by the kiss of death of God. So Aharon says, Moshe says, I want to die that way. Illustrating that had Moshe not asked, he might not have received it. So Aharon is on an unbelievably high level. The Torah tells us, Shikulim him, him. Both of them are on equal levels, Moshe and Aharon. You see, Aharon is super, super, super uh, holy. And yet, he's not chosen. And Aharon is not chosen to take the Jews out, I believe, because he experienced the slavery in Egypt. And even if he was a Levi, it still had a tremendous, tremendous impact on them. The Midrash says to us something very interesting. It says <clears throat> that the Bnei Yisrael suffered, right? Bahomer, Ubalevenim, Uba Kasha. Right? They suffered in all these different ways. And the Midrash says that what does it mean that they suffered Ba'avodah Kasha? They suffered with Kusha, with questions. What does it mean they suffered Belevenim? Right? They suffered from, uh, from Libun Alaka. What does it mean that they suffered Bachomer, Bekal Bachomer? Who's it talking about? And I remember reading in the Sefer Birkat Mordechai, he says, that not only did the Jews suffer, but the Leviim also suffered. How did they suffer? They suffered because while they were sitting and studying the Torah, they could hear their brothers and sisters screaming in pain, in the pain of slavery. So Leviim also experienced this, this time. It was a traumatic experience. You have people who went through the war and they were hiding in a hiding place. They never saw the inside of a camp. They never even saw a Nazi with a gun. But they spent time hiding. And that time spent in hiding, not knowing if the laws, if they would be found, was traumatic in and of itself. Moshe Rabbeinu needed to not be imprinted at all with the experience of the Jewish people in Egypt. And therefore, to be able to come and save them in a way that no one else in the Jewish people could. So to have a name that was given to him in a time of suffering, would not do. None of those names could stick. Who gives him a name? Egyptian royalty. And most of us think of that name and we think, oh, Moshe was saved from the water. But I think that there's another element here. So to speak, disregards, wipes away his history as having been born to the Jewish people. It's almost as if I found them in the water. Borei Olam gave this name to the child. So when the child grew up in, Mosh, in the house of Paro, what were they calling him? From the first minute he was born, 
Moshe, the child drawn from the water. Moshe, the child drawn from the water. Moshe, the child drawn from the water. Moshe learned from the moment he was born, the moment he was able to understand speech, the speech of a human being. What did he learn? Not that he came from the Jews, not that he was beat up, not that he was de desperate for salvation. He wasn't desperate, he wasn't afraid, he wasn't beholden, he wasn't second best. What was he? He was a miracle. Every time they called his name, how did he see himself? I'm the child saved from the water. Remarkable. When a child is taught again and again and again that he's not a slave, and he's not a problem, and he's not, uh, doesn't, we don't need the final solution for him, but Minan, and the child is not the, you know, this name or this name or this name or this name that represents the challenges of that space of that time, right? Yered. Listen to that, the name that his sister gives him, right? Drawn down. Listen to the name that his mother gives him. What's the name his mother gives him? Chaver. The commentators explain exactly why she called him Chaver, why she was, he was called Yekutiel. But those names were informed by the experience they were in. You give a kid a name, Mupim and Chupim, the names of Binyamin who gave to his children, they were names of mourning, mourning for Yosef. That kid, what is he here? Mourning. Now, I'm giving you this idea about the name, but I want you to understand that first and foremost, it's not about the child's name, it's what you tell the child is his essence. What does your kid feel that he is? Most of us spend a lot of time explaining in excruciating detail to our children what they are not. They're not invincible, and they didn't come to this, and they were late to that, and they didn't turn in this, and they didn't say that, and they didn't study this. But we don't spend any time telling the kid, you're a miracle. When Moshe Rabbeinu grew up feeling that he was a miracle, so who do you give a staff of miracles to? You give it to a person who thinks he's a miracle. My friends, what's the only thing that Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't think he can do? Speak. Why? Because from the moment he's young, the Midrash tells he burns his tongue, he grows up with this idea that he can't speak. Now it's interesting to me. Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't say what? I'm going to put my hand in and it turns into tzarat? Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't say like, what, I'm going to throw the stick, stick down on the ground, it's going to turn into a snake? Moshe doesn't say, I'm going to hit the water and it's going to turn into blood, frogs, you know, lice, pestilence. You know, no, no questions. Split the sea, no problem. Moshe's like, really, the sea? No, no problems. Why? Moshe's comfortable with miracles. Because his name is Moshe, drawn from the water. He's comfortable understanding that he's a miracle and that he can. The one thing he can't do is the one thing he's been unable to do since he was a child. The time of childhood is so important because it allows us to instill in a kid what they can and cannot do. So therefore the Torah said all of those names, they can't, I can't, we're going to call them Yeled. That's what we're going to call them. We're going to call him Yelid. I must share. I was thinking to myself the other day, it's interesting if you take a look at the word of the names that he was named by his 
by his uh, uh, illustrious family members, who does he have the greatest hakarat atov to in his family, we said earlier? Miriam, what's the name that she names him? Yered. The word Yered and the word Yeled almost look identical. Yud, Resh, Dalit. The only difference is that at the end of the Resh, what does it have? The Lamid? A line. A Vav. Vav, we know, is called a connector. It's Vav HaChibur. She called him Yered, which means to come down, descending to Egypt, descending to the river, everything down, everything depressing. But what does Borei Olam do with this child? Vav HaChibur. He connects. He gives him, what do we say earlier without a name you don't have? That pipeline to heaven, to above. Borei Olam takes the name of the other person that we owe Hakarat HaTov to, and he says, what are we going to call him now? Yeled. And the illustration here is so pronounced on this Yeled that we hear one last thing and I'll end with this. The Yeled is in the basket. And the Pasuk says that Batya opened up the basket and what did she hear? She heard the sound of Na'ar Bukheh. A young man crying. The baby is three months old. Why is she hearing the sound of Na'ar Bukheh, of a crying young man? And I think that that's what the Pasuk is trying to communicate to us. That within every child, within every kid, it is the responsibility of those that would guide and those that would define the future of the child to think not only of their cries as a child, but to think of their cries as an adult. You know, you think a kid is crying and you provide the kid with something that solves the cries of a child. If you solve the cries of a child, oftentimes, you cause the cries of an adult. I mentioned a little while back, right before Hanukkah, there was studies shown that when you pick up a baby that's crying immediately, right away, the damage you're doing to the baby is you're making the baby feel that he cannot survive without being saved by someone. So therefore, right, in his lifetime, when he grows up and things go wrong, because things always do, what does he feel? He can't survive. He needs to cry and whine about it until someone saves him. You let the cry child cry on his own, eventually the ch child stops crying and realizes everything's okay. And then you reinforce in the message, in the, this message in the eyes and in the mind of the child that you know what, I'm gonna cry for a couple minutes, but ultimately it's gonna be okay. I'm gonna be okay. So the Pasuk says, in the precursor to the name that she's going to choose, it says that Batya heard the, ch the sound of a baby crying, but it did not sound to her like the sound of a baby crying. It sounded to her like the sound of an adult, a young man crying. So she named him a name that would take away the cries of an adult, not of a child. She says to the child, you're a miracle. Person feels like they're a miracle. How do they walk into shul? What's up? How you doing? And that's how Moshe, that's how Moshe acts. He's already advising Paro. You know the Jews; they're working a little too hard. I feel like we would get more out of them 
if we gave them one day of rest. Paro's like, yeah, you think? What day do you think? Moshe's like, um, Shabbat. <laughs> Paro, gives, Paro gives the Jews Shabbat off because of Moshe. Moshe sees one Jew beating up another Jew. What does he do? Kills the guy, who's one Egyptian taskmaster beating up a Jew. What does he do? He steps in there, kills him. Why? Moshe's bulletproof. He's a miracle. Who else would do that? Moshe runs away to the house, right? To the house of Sipporah, to the, to the place of Yitro. The Midrash tells us remarkable things that happened with him on the way. Who acts that way? Moshe. Only Moshe. So it's Moshe who is a miracle, who can do miracles, who when he sees the burning bush is drawn to the miracle. The language of miracles is the language that Moshe Rabbeinu speaks. So he says, Asura let me turn and see this wondrous miracle. And as Moshe turns, God calls to him from the Shamaim, Moshe, Moshe. I always loved that. In that space, you see everything you need to know about Moshe. God does a miracle for him. Moshe notices it. It's his language. And God calls him in the space of a miraculous window. God calls him Moshe, Moshe. The Zohar says that when someone is called a name like that, Avraham, Avraham, you know what it means to say? It means that a person has a name on this earth and they have a name in the heavens. And when they're called Avraham, Avraham, or Moshe, Moshe, it means that the name on earth matches the name in heaven. This moment was the moment when Moshe on earth matched Moshe in heaven. Why? Because he saw a miracle and he says, Asura Let me turn and see. Let me notice this wondrous occurrence. My friends, it's not just miracles that this works with. It's many different things. But if I could ask you one thing to do for homework, it's to think of each of your kids. To ask yourself if there was one thing that I could give them, gift them, by calling them that thing, what would that name be? If you call one kid and you say this kid, you tell them, you know, as a child, you're the reliable one. I know I could always count on you. You're so reliable. You could tell another child, you're the most resourceful child in the family. Those names that we give, whether they're part of the person's actual name or not, they carry tremendous weight in the child's future. So again, besides for the actual Hebrew name, the communication that we have with our children in this area is a setup for their entire future. Baruch Adonai